Last weekend, I closed out our message with probably, well, let's strike the word probably, with the most astounding fact in the history of the world, and it's simply this, that God has paid for our sin through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And because he did, we are free to go. If you were here last week, you remember I got to that place and said, you know, I, I shared with you about how someone paid for my meal uh, anonymously, and the server came over and said, someone's already paid. And, and I sat there and I said, hey, I guess I'm free to go because there's nothing I can do. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are free to go. That is the most amazing fact in the world. And that's true for several reasons. I mean, first of all, it's true because of the love of God. God loved you so much, and he did not want anyone to perish. Some of you may have heard, you know, you may have been in churches and heard sermons about how that God picks these people to go to heaven, and God picks these people to go to hell. Don't you ever believe it? The Bible says God does not want anyone to perish. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And because of his great love, and because of the incredible trouble that we were in, you know, people say to me sometimes, Mark, uh, what does a person have to do to go to hell? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Just stay on the road you're born on because we're all born in sin and we've got you know, the, the sword of justice hanging over our heads. Our parents, Adam and Eve, messed up. They passed it on to us and we've done enough messing up on our own so all of us are in trouble. But God didn't want anybody to suffer eternally for sin and so he sent his son Jesus. The main reason why you will never go to hell and, because, and the main reason why you, you can know that you're forgiven is that Jesus Christ paid this most horrific price for you on the cross. It is unimaginable, the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through to buy your eternal life. You know, we often think about the nails in his hands and the crowns, uh, the, the thorns in his crown that we talked about last week. And indeed, that was huge, the physical suffering that he experienced. But not even the physical suffering can rise to the level of the emotional suffering that Jesus suffered when he was on the cross. Because the Bible says that God actually made his soul, his inner person, an offering for sin. If you've ever felt guilt or shame, and you know how awful it makes you feel, imagine what it would be like to carry all the guilt of everybody's wrongdoing and all the shame of everybody's misdeeds. Jesus took that on himself, and his heart exploded because of the, the, the pressure of carrying all the grief and the sin of the world. And so God did all that. God put his son on the cross so that when it's all said and done, you can give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, and God will give you eternal life. Now, the question is for today's message, Branded, which is my favorite message in this series. How are we going to respond to that? Because here's what you could do, and here's what many, if not most, people do. What you could do is you could say, oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. Mark says, the Bible says that if I accept Jesus... God gives me eternal life, so I could just check out and go live my own life and have the one thing that Americans want more than anything else, which is autonomy. I want to rule my own life. That's why people want to pile up a lot of money in this American way of living. We want to go where we want to go. We want to live where we want to live. We want to buy what we want to buy. We want to recreate where we want to recreate. What we want is we want autonomy. And so many people hear the message of salvation and they'll say, great, I'll take Jesus because that's hell insurance and I won't have to go to hell, so I'll just live out the rest of my life for me. And a lot of people do that. And you know what the amazing thing is? You can. The magnitude, the hugeness of God's gift means if that's what you want to do, you can do it. You can accept Jesus and never do a thing with it. Many times I'm called in to assist families and help families when they're going through hard times with the funeral service. And I'll ask questions about, you know, the family, and, and someone will say, well, hey, you know what? My family's religious, but we never really took further steps. 
And it's true. Anyone can do that. I, I think when it gets right down to it, the majority of us, probably more than we realize, I'm talking about the people in this room, the majority of us live accepting Jesus' gift, but never really doing much with it. And you could be here today and say, well, Mark, I go to church on Sunday morning. Well, I praise God that you go to church on Sunday morning, but the question I want to ask you is that really how you want to live your life? I want to challenge you today to think about something else. I want to challenge you to think about how you're going to live your life in relationship to what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. Before I do that, let me tell you a story about something that happened back in in Bible days, and specifically the Old Testament. And it gets a little challenging for us when we talk about things that happen in the Old Testament because we live in the New Testament era, the age of grace. They had a lot more laws on them in the Old Testament than we do. But sometimes it's helpful for us to go back and see how they lived their lives and how God orchestrated their lives. Back in Bible days, especially the Old Testament, there were no social services as we know them today. If a person got up against it, there, there were no welfare programs, there was no state assistance. If a person got into financial trouble, you know, he, he was just starved. So I can imagine, here's this guy, we're going to read about in just a moment in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's this guy that, that loses his job and doesn't have money coming in, and so he does what probably most people did in those days. He starts selling stuff off. He sells his house and gets an apartment. And then he sells his car. I'm using a little anachronism here if you'll grant me a little latitude. He sells his car. He sells his boat. Sells his ski you know. And then even still, it's, it's a challenge to keep food on the table. So he he then puts, you know, puts out a sign that says garage sale or estate sale, and he sells everything that he has. And finally, he has no place to live. He has nothing to drive. He has just the clothes on his back. He sold everything he has, and there's only one way that he can stay alive in these days that we're going to read about. He would have to sell himself. He would go to a rancher or a farmer usually because it was an agrarian culture, And he would say, hey, I'm up against it. I can't make my bills. I can't keep food on the table. I want you to buy me. I want you to buy my labor, buy my life, buy my freedom. And I will sell myself to you so that I can have a place to sleep and food on the table. And that was the way things worked back then. But God knew that human nature being what it is, God knew that wealthy landowners and ranchers and farmers would take advantage of that. And so God put this this rule in that we're going to read about. And if you have your Bibles with you, it's in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 12. The Bible says, If a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year you must set that servant free. Now that's just the God that you and I serve. I mean, this was a bad practice. And it was unfortunate that they had this kind of servitude in those days. But God was saying... Don't take advantage of that. And he said in the seventh year, you've got to let this person go free. And if you read the next verse, it's really something because God tells that wealthy farmer, that wealthy rancher, it isn't enough for you to set this guy, this gal free. God said, you've got to set this person up. You not only set them free, but set them up. He said, you know, go out and get some cattle out of your flocks and go get some stuff from your stuff. And you, when you set this servant free, don't send him out empty-handed. Set him up so that he can go out on his own and make it. That's a good practice. And it does show us something about the love and the grace of God, that he would have this kind of law for people 
who were up against it. So that's how it would work. You know, here's this guy. He sold everything. He goes. He sells himself. He winds up working for six years because, you know, he has to. He has sold himself. He sold his freedom. And I can just see this guy as he's getting close to that seven-year mark. And, and, and I'm sure that the people who, who took charge of record-keeping for this older guy, this farmer, this rancher, watching out for this servant. And they come to him one day and they say, hey, you know, you, you've got one more day here. And tomorrow we're going to let you go free. You're going to be on your own. We've been out picking out some cattle for you. We've got a little piece of land for you over here where maybe you can build your house and, and you can just go out and be on your own and you don't have to stay here anymore. You don't have to, I mean, as of tomorrow at this time, you are your own guy. You're your own guy. You're free. You're free to be on your own. It's what happens next in our story that really captures my attention and makes this my favorite message in the Life Inc. series because we've been talking about things that mark us. We've talked about tattoos, we've talked about piercings, and we've said that there are things that mark our inner person for life. You know I've been focused on the inner person. And it's what happens next that I want us to think about today for you and me, because I've already said that if God has saved you, you're free to go. You're just like this servant. You don't have to stay here anymore. I don't mean just stay in church. I mean, you just don't, I mean, God's not saying, hey, you have to volunteer down at that New Spring Church, and if you don't, I'm going to take your salvation away from you. And God isn't saying, you know what, you've got to read your Bible every day, and if you don't read your Bible all day, then it's hell for you. God can say that, but he doesn't. And just like this servant, if you've accepted Christ, you're free to go, and you can live for years and never follow Jesus. It will make your life conflicted in this life, and it will leave you, you know, it will leave you not as well off as you want to be when you get to heaven, but you can do it. But it's what happens next. It just blows my mind. Look at this. Verse 16. Here's the servant. He's free to go. Notice the first word of the verse. The first word is but. Now I'm thinking if I'm free to go, I don't need the word but at the beginning of the next sentence. If I'm free to go, I'm free to go. I'm out of here. I'm checking out. I'm going to my place. I don't have to be here tomorrow. I don't have to punch the time clock. I, I don't belong here anymore. I am free to go. But the servant says, but. But suppose your servant says, verse 16, I will not leave you. Well, what's going on with that? I mean, here is a guy now. He's not only free to go, and not only is he set free, he's set up for life. I mean, all of us want to say, that's a great plan. Sign me up for that one. I mean, because if I can go out and I can start my own business now, and I don't have to, you know, I don't have to obey the rules anymore, and I can do what I want to do, and I've got autonomy, l- let me in on that. But here they come to this servant. They say, well, you're free to go. Your time is up. And that servant says, Mm-mm, I'm not, not leaving. I'm staying. Now, doesn't that beg a question? That begs a question, why? Why do you want to stay when you're free to go? Why do you want to serve when you don't have to serve? That servant says three things that have really grabbed my heart and my attention, and it explains why I live my life the way I live my life and why I hope you'll take this to heart. And I'll just make this personal if you don't mind. This last Wednesday, I've been here as pastor for 22 years. And, you know, when I, I, w- I didn't wake up one day and say, I think I want to live my life in Kansas. And, in, and with all of its challenges, I didn't wake up and say, hey, I think pastor is the greatest job in the world. I thought real hard about this before I brought this message. The reason why I serve as I serve is for what this servant said. 
he offered three reasons for why he wanted to stay, and I hope you think about them. Number one is, he said, I don't want to go because I love my master. Now, the master in, in, in our thing is God. And God says, you know what? You're free to go. Salvation is free. It doesn't cost you anything. There are no strings attached. If you want to accept my son Jesus, you don't have to do anything in order to have eternal life. But you can go. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to volunteer at New Spring. You don't have to do any of these things. But some will say, I love my God. I don't want to go. The second reason. Notice that the servant said, I love his family. I love his family. For us, that's the church. There are people today who say, well, I love God, I love Jesus, but I don't have any time for church. That would be like telling me, Mark, I love you, but boy, I don't, I don't care much for your sons. You know what? You just dropped off my radar screen. I like this servant. You know, he, he said, I came in here with nothing. I sold everything I had. I walked in here, and, and I, I found out, oh, man, this is a great boss to work for. And by the way, you know what? I just love hanging with his kids. And that's me. I love hanging with you guys. I mean, after all these years, you guys are my family. I, I don't want to go. I don't want to leave because I love being with you. There's something about being with God's family. That's awesome. You say, well, Mark, I'm new to New Spring, and I only know three people. I don't know all the thousands of people that attend here. Well, you know what? Just make, make friendships and relationships with the people that you know, and as you stay, it will grow, and you'll know more people, and you'll have more friends, and you'll have people to hang out with. I mean, get into a connection group. I mean, volunteer. That's one of the best ways to know who people are in this ministry. Volunteer. I mean, right now, while we're in this room, we have Kids Day back in the uh, uh, in Kids World, we have a promotion going on. A lot of the parents are back there, and a lot of volunteers are serving back there while we're here. I mean, when you volunteer, you meet so many people, and, you, and you'll get to know the family of God here. And, you know, you could get agitated at me someday, and you could say, well, I just don't know if I'm going to stay at New Spring, because I just didn't like what Mark said in that message today. But just say, hmm, I don't know. I love my God, and I love his family. Here's the third thing. The servant said, hey, I'm not, I don't want to go. I know I'm free. I don't have to stay here anymore. I could be set up for life. But I love my master, and I love his family. And then I like this third one. He said, I've done well here. I've done well serving God. You know, somebody could come to me and say, Mark, maybe you should try to just forget God for a while and go out on the world and do your own thing and just sort of get out of this God kick. <clears throat> you know why that wouldn't work, well, work with me? It's because it's been good for me to serve God. I mean, it's been a good thing. I haven't gotten rich, but I'll tell you what, my life has meaning. And, and if you serve God, your life has meaning too. I don't mean by that that you don't have any problems or issues or you don't have bad days or things don't go poorly for you sometimes, but it's just when you look at serving God, you say to yourself, it's gone well for me. Well, I preached this message last night, and I had this overwhelming sense that I was missing something. That's a strange thing. When you stand up in front of people and you, you bring a message and you think, something's missing here. So you're going to get something the group last night didn't get. I got it over at Jason's Deli with Mary Alice eating dinner. So if you ever get to a place you don't understand the Bible, just go over to Jason's Deli. I'll show you which booth to sit in. <clears throat> this came to me. 
Because you see, you ask this guy, I mean, I keep thinking, I, I was watching people's eyes, and, and you sort of still see that question, but why would a guy who's free to go, why would he stay and continue serving if he's free to go? And it hit me. The last time he was free, he didn't do so well. He wound up a slave. How many of us, we say, you know what? You, you can't talk me out of serving God because the last time I had this thing by myself, I really screwed things up real bad. So maybe I'm free to go, but I don't want to go. I love my master. I love his family. And I've been doing real well since I've been following Jesus. So I think I'm just going to stay put. I get the feeling that there might have been a few people who did this. Probably wasn't the majority. Because it's what happens next. I got to tell you, this is what I want to be. I don't know that I'm there yet, but I really want to be like this servant for what happens next. Now, you would think perhaps that what would go down would be something like this. That when the master heard that the servant said, hey, I love my master, and I love his family, and I've been doing real well here, and I want to stay, you would think that maybe the master would go pat him on the back and say, hey, I really appreciate having you. Okay, you can hang around. But something that happened, the thing that happened next was a matter of permanence. See, I think there are a lot of people who follow Jesus to sort of dabble. Hey, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this church. I'm going to try this I'm going to try reading my Bible. I, I, I'm, I don't know if anything's going to come out of this or not. I'm just going to dabble a little bit. You know, you either are saved or you're not saved. You've either accepted Jesus or you haven't accepted Jesus. And what you and I are going to learn today is you and I are either a disciple or we're not a disciple. There's no halfway follower of Jesus. Just like you can't be a little bit pregnant, you can't be... You can't be a little bit follower of Jesus. So this, there's a permanence that happened next, and, and it kind of, it sort of freaks me out a little bit when I think about what happened next. They would take this servant, and they would put his earlobe up against the door, and they would tap an awl through his earlobe to mark the fact that this servant had made a choice. It was a permanent thing. From this point, the master could count on this servant, and the servant could count on his master because they had gone through a ceremony of permanence. Now, I think to myself what I would feel like if I saw one of these guys or gals walking down the streets of the city with this hole in their ear. You know, I, I'm driving down the road sometime, and I'll see, you know, I'll see a guy in a pickup truck, you know, and he's got that telltale haircut, and then on his bumper, on his tailgate, he'll have, he'll have a sign that says United States Marine. And I think that tells me something, you know? That tells me something. Or someone who's been a Navy SEAL, or someone who's been a Green Beret. No, I think that's what would happen if you walked down. You saw a lady. You saw a man who had that telltale mark in their ear. You would know. You would know several things. And I thought, as I prepare for this message, I'd know three things if I saw somebody with that mark. First thing I would know: that guy's got an awesome master. That girl's got an awesome master. I wouldn't have to see that master. I wouldn't have to know his name. I wouldn't have to know what she did for a living to make all her money. I would just know one thing. I would know that if a servant chose to stay when he or she could go and be set up for life, I would say to myself, you know what? That guy, that gal has got an awesome master. I don't even have to see him. Now, here's the deal. I want to say something to you today. 
you will, if you decide, if you make the choice, not only to accept salvation, but to be a disciple of Jesus and live your life for him because you love him and you love his family and you've done well with him. If you make that choice, you won't have to have anybody tap a hole in your ear. People will know. You will just live your life in such a way that people will know. And you know what? There will be people who don't believe in religion. There will be people who never have been to church. They'll work with you, and they'll say, you know what? I don't know if I believe in God or not, but boy, that, that guy, ah, he's got an awesome God. Or, or, man, I wish, here's what they'll say. They'll say, I wish I could believe like she believes. And what they're really trying to say is, you've got an awesome master. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I've never experienced him. But blindly, I can say, you got an awesome master. And here's what kind of gets to me a little bit. You know, for so many people who just accept salvation, and they say, thank you, God, for your gift. Now I'm going to go on and live my life. Nobody's going to say, you got a great master. Because you're living just like everybody else. Boy, when you've made that turn and you're saying, I'm not serving because I have to. I'm serving because I want to. I love my God. I love his family. God's been good to me. Hey, you know what? All over this property today and last night, there are people who are volunteering. You know, when you saw that person who met you at the front door and you, and you said, well, what's this person here for? Is this person here because this is how he's going to go to heaven if he hands me a, a, a brochure? Are those people who took your kids back there and the people who are working back in the kids' world today? Why are they doing that? I'll tell you why. The people who volunteer at New Spring, I mean, even the people who are up on stage here a few moments ago who were leading us in worship, you're saying, why are they up here? Are they up here because they want to be seen? I can tell you, all these people would say, I'm here because I love my master, I love his family, and it's been good for me to serve God. That's what they're testifying, and that's why we're being blessed today. If I saw a servant with a big hole in his ear, I'd know, number one, he's got an awesome master. Number two, I would know this is a serious person. I don't mean to, you know, get off and get into social commentary a whole lot, but I'll tell you, one of the things that really troubles me about America today is I think we have an absence of serious people. We've got a lot of empty suits walking around. I mean, you know, when, I mean, when you can flip on the news... And the L.A., you know, I mean, and the L.A. scene is the helicopter flying over the L.A. expressway watching Paris Hilton's car take her to jail. I mean, when we're that messed up. I mean, we just have an absence of serious people. And I don't mean serious like glum. I mean, people that just mean something. You know, we got a lot of empty suits. And I'm not talking about making lots of money because some of the, I, I know some well-to-do people that when I sit down to talk with them, they can tell you what they do for a living. But when you get them talking about their lives, they're like empty suits. I tell you, you show me one of these people who said, hey, I don't have to leave. I don't have to punch a time clock. I'm not doing what I'm doing because I have to. I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to. That's a serious person. Let me give you the third thing. And I wouldn't have known this if I hadn't got it from Paul. Because Paul, you know, the guy that God used to write most of the New Testament, he went all over the world starting churches, spent 13 years out of his 39-year ministry in jail. He got beaten and left for dead. They stoned him. I mean, he just, he went through all kinds of stuff to get the word to you. You know, that Bible that you're holding in your hand right now, 
is largely because of what God did through this guy and beyond that. You know, his, his starting of churches has a real impact on, on churches today. And uh, let me give you a little background because Paul, is, what he's going to do is he's going to refer back to the verse that you, are, you and I are in in Deuteronomy today and he's going to talk about his life and he's going to explain something. So I'm setting you up a little bit, but before I do, could I just tell you part of Paul's problem? Paul would go everywhere and he would start churches and he would tell people about the grace of God and how that Jesus died and the free gift of salvation. And every place he went, up would pop these, what we would call legalists. They were the ultra-religious crowd. And Paul would say, hey, you know what? All you have to do to go to heaven is to accept Jesus Christ and believe in him. And the people would pop up and say, no, 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 no. There are all these rules that you have to keep. And one of the rules is circumcision because that had been a big thing back in the Old Testament that God had brought. But now it was a different age and God was working in a different way. But these are people saying, hey, you know what? You got to be circumcised. And let me tell you, it was, it was not a theological issue. It was really a racist issue and a superiority issue. Basically, what was happening was the hyper-religious crowd was saying, we don't want these ordinary people in here. You know what? We just want people like us. And Paul dealt with this, and I'm so glad that he recorded his frustration in the Bible because I get frustrated sometimes, and it's good for me to know that Paul just got so upset with these people. And some of the things he said, I can't even say here from the platform. Because everywhere he'd go, they'd just mess it up. He'd start a church, and boom, they'd up mess, it, mess it up, and they'd say, well, yeah, what Paul's saying about grace is true, but boy, you've got to be circumcised. And the moment you add anything to the grace of God, you just messed it all up. Now listen to what Paul said. I'm going to read to you from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 17. He said, finally, let no one cause me any trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. That tells me the third thing I'd know if I saw somebody with a big hole in his ear and I knew how he got it. I'd know, number one, I'd know, who his ma- I know he has a great master. Number two, I would know this is a serious person. And number three, I would know I can't mess with this guy. I can't mess with this girl. You know, someone who has chosen to live his or her life a particular way, you can't buy that person out. Let me ask you a question. There's some of you today, you have lived your lives like the servant I just talked about. You know, you have, you have made a living, you've raised a family, but when it's all said and done, the most important thing in your life has been following Jesus and doing his will. I can tell you something about you today. Nobody can mess with you. Nobody can say, hey, how do you know that God, didn't, how do you know that God created the world? How, 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 do you, how do you know that a bunch of guys didn't just get together and write the Bible and put their own ideas in there? And how do you know that there is a heaven, which we're going to start talking about next week? by the way, in the series Tomorrowland. How do you know? I mean, maybe all that stuff is just a bunch of junk and you're just wasting your life. You can't mess with somebody who said, I'm here because I want to be here. There's just something about that. That's what Paul was saying. He was saying, all you people that want to add all this junk, don't mess with me anymore because I bear in my body the marks of one who has chosen to be a servant. Nobody can buy you. Nobody can scare you. Nobody can intimidate you. Nobody can tell you that it doesn't matter because you know your master and you've chosen to live for him. I know today that I've pushed, I've pushed us all. And at times I've said things that are uncomfortable for us. But, you know, that's what ministers do. That's what pastors do. You know, someone, one preacher said my job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So I've afflicted the comfortable today. I'm just asking you how you live in your life. Because you're either saved or you're not saved. Many of you have already settled that. But you're either a disciple or you're not a disciple.
You say, well, Mark, what does it matter? I mean, maybe I can. Maybe I'll just accept hell insurance, and I'll go to heaven when I die, and, and I'm going I'm to have lived my life okay. Let me tell you something. Most of the time, the reason why people don't really follow Jesus is they're worried about their standard of living in this world. What we're going to see next weekend is you're only going to live here about 100 years at most. And in the life to come, you're going to live forever. If you care about your standard of living here, you're really going to care about it when you're going to live forever. That's why Jesus said, when you lay up your treasure, don't lay it up in a place where a moth can get to it or rust or corrosion. He said, lay your treasure up in heaven where it lasts forever. The people who have said, I love my master, I love his family, and I've done real well. And the last time I was out on my own, I really screwed things up real bad, so I want to stay here and I want to serve God. These are the people whose standard of living is going to be off the charts five seconds after they die. Can I ask you a question? When you die, are you going to be leaving your stuff? You're going to be going to your stuff. It all comes down to this. Well, I can't say I'm there yet, but I sure want to be. That's who I want to be. The guy we just read about, the girl we just read about, isn't that who we want to be today? Well, you say, well, Mark, I love the idea, but I don't know where to start. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to just push a little more this morning. You know, people always, churches always asking me, pastors asking me, how do you guys get all the volunteers, all the hundreds of volunteers that you have to have at New Spring? You know, what do you do? How do you motivate? How do you, you know, how do you beg or water plead? And I always say, we don't do that. Because the people who serve here serve here because they love their master, they love his family, and God's been good to them. But I want to give you a chance this morning. When you leave, if you go out through the middle there, there's some tables out there. And you can see some marvelous opportunities at New Spring. Because if you're saying, okay, Mark, you rev me up, I'm ready to go. I do want to volunteer, I do want to serve. Here are some places where you can start. And we've got some things here that even if you've never been in church in your life before, or if you haven't, you know, you don't know much about the Bible, hey, we've got some things here that you can do. And you can be a huge help to other people by volunteering. And so if you would, if you would stop by and just get one of these and you can look them over. And then if you're ready to take that next step, there will just be some cards there where you can say, hey, I want to be involved. I love my master. I love New Spring Church. God has been good to me. And I want to start getting in the game. I want to start volunteering. And I'll just tell you, you'll watch your life. You'll watch God bless you in so many ways. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for what we've gotten to experience And Lord, I just ask you that you would help us to look at our lives. Many of us, Father, have been in church for years. But when it's all said and done, we're not branded yet. We're still looking for that autonomy. Father, help us to realize that the wisest thing we can do is to serve God. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to know what you want us to do. And what we'd be good at. And how to use the giftedness that you put in our lives. Lord, please help us. Thank you for the many, many, many who do volunteer and serve. I pray that you would just raise up a whole new team. And we'll promise to give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward today to receive the morning offering. And while they're coming, you know, you have your worship guide here. This is a, by the way, isn't this a beautiful worship guide? This is one of my all-time favorites. Um, It's got a detachable part, and if you've made a decision today to accept Christ, it could be that while I was speaking today, you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and life. You can let me know that. And if you did, if you'll put an address on there, 
I'll get you three booklets this week that will help you get started in your Christian walk. There are also all kinds of questions that you can ask about, you know, the church here. And if you have a, you know, just anything that we can do to help you, talk back to us and let us know how we can minister to you. You can detach these. You can either drop them in the offering plate or you can also drop them in the boxes by the back doors or the bottom of the staircases. So right now we're going to receive the offerings and the tithes of God's people. You know, you guys are awesome to, to do that, and you make so many things possible. And when I think about people who say, I love my master, I love his family, and God has been good to me, I think about those of you who give here at New Spring. Because your tithing and your giving absolutely transforms this city and the world. And beyond that, God said he would turn around and bless you with more than you've ever given. So I praise God for your faith. Remember this, God doesn't want your money. Giving is about faith. I mean, God's our, and we're going to see next week that in heaven the streets are paved with gold. Trust me, God's not worried about trying to get his hands on your stack. God's worried about you trusting him. He's concerned about you trusting him. And that's what he said. He said, trust me. And if you'll give, God said, I'll open the windows of heaven. I like to stand under the windows of heaven, don't you? So that's what you're about to do right now. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for, again, for letting us be here. May your Holy Spirit guide us in our deeper understanding. Lord, tailor make the message for each one of us today. And now, Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of your people, Father, who obey you in the matter of the tithe and love you enough to bring an offering as well. Thank you for what you're doing with missions. Help us never to lose track or lose sight of what you're doing around the world. In Jesus' name, amen.